a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert, and we kind of tricked you because we are not <laughs> coming to you live from the studios today because due to our remodeling, we are coming to you from the Governor's Turf. And Governor, thanks for having us in the Gold Room this morning. Well, listen, we're honored to have you here the week before Thanksgiving, and we have a lot to be thankful for in this state. And you have a lot to be thankful for down at KSL because they're going to give you do. new digs. Do, exactly. It's going to be ultra modern. It's going to be more convenient. You're probably not even want to go home. You want to stay there and work. Okay, I'm there enough, Governor. So <laughs> I'm not going to take you up on that one. Did you have an opening statement for us today, Governor? Oh, not really. I I, I know we are in the middle of election season. I guess we've just completed it, uh, rather than be in the middle of it. But we still don't have results on some races and some issues. And but I'm appreciative of the fact that people showed up. I think we're going to pierce the 70% participation rate. Uh, that's going to be, if it's not a record, it's, uh, it's probably the best we've had in a number of years, maybe 20 or 30 right. years turnout. And probably a lot of reasons for it. I hope people were motivated because it was their civic duty and responsibility to get out and be informed about the candidates and the issues and let their voice be heard by casting a vote. Um, I, I hope that we also recognize that once the votes are over and the votes are counted, whatever happens, uh, happens whether it's Republicans or Democrats, that when let's close ranks, let's support each other and see if we can work together uh, to get things done. And certainly that's the, sec- uh, the secret of the success of Utah is our collaboration efforts and cooperation, which is better than most areas. And we can be a good example because we don't see that much in national politics and certainly in Washington, D.C. So thanks, everybody, for their participation. Let's keep it up. Let's keep those numbers up and high. And and whether it's the local, you know, uh, school board, whether it's the mayor, uh, county commissioner, uh, legislature, um, governor, or congressional delegate, it shouldn't matter. We should show up and vote. All of those offices are very important. Issues are important. And we can't govern correctly if we don't have the people step up and vote. Reflect for a minute on the mail-in ballots, the use of the mail-in ballots, and now with the lawsuit um, from the Love Campaign uh, questioning the signatures on the ballot. Well, uh, one, I think that the election process in Utah has been very, very good historically. Uh, I don't think there's any evidence of any voter fraud. I think the counts have been accurate. Uh, and I think that's what you want. Uh, the people want to know that when I cast a vote, my vote's counted and their tallies are correct and wh- whoever wins, uh, wins. 
And by the way, I don't think there's any losers. Uh, maybe somebody gets less votes than somebody else, but uh, their participation is necessary and important. Uh, so that being said, I, again, you'd have to talk to uh, Congressman Love's campaign people and see what their thought processes are there. I, I I know we're a little frustrated by some of the delays that have happened, particularly in, in Utah County. Yeah, talk lines. about what happened there. Well, I don't know. It's been an issue for many, many years down there, ever since the Help America Vote Act in 2006. Um it's almost become a running joke around the state with other clerks and certainly the elections office here that if there's going to be a problem on election uh, day, it'll be in Utah County. And we've had lines, we've had equipment failures, we just haven't had anticipation of the crowds and what's taking place. I know that the elections office, which has oversight responsibility, by the way, out of the lieutenant governor's office, has talked with the clerks uh, and there are people down there in Utah County many times and said, you know, put out more machines, get more polling places. They're a little slow to come to the to the mail-by-vote issue. Uh, last year, the special election was the first time they used it, whereas about 24 of our other counties already had been using mail ballots, which has proven to be a good thing for a number of reasons. One, it's more convenient. Uh, two, you get to your ballot in the mail and you can start studying the issues and the candidates. You almost do it intuitively because, okay, I, I see here's I'm going to vote for this school board, city council, or it's not a, not this year a council, but, uh, you know, state legislature, uh, Congress, you know, those kind of things. And so it's on your mind. You're paying attention. And this year we had a number of propositions, initiatives, and, and so it's on your mind. You're starting to listen, pay attention to what's on the news, read the paper, those kind of things, which gives you a more informed voter. Which is what you want. Which is a good thing. Yeah. And then they can mail it in at their convenience, and uh, and I think that's been a good thing. Utah County hasn't done that, so this is kind of their first real year of testing it out. And there's a learning curve. They clearly didn't have enough machines, enough polling locations. When you have people standing in line for three to four hours, and uh, that's really, uh, I think, disappointing. But I hope they've got a new clerk there, and... Um, I think the commissioners understand they've got to give the clerk the resources necessary and have oversight. Uh, the elections are all run by local clerks. This is not something the state runs. We have oversight, and we can give recommendations and encouragement. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to implement it, and they have to run the show. So I hope that over these next two years that Utah County will get it figured out. hope all the counties continue to do that. And let's uh, let's make it harder by showing up in mass and, and doing our things uh, as uh, citizens and, and make sure we're civically involved. The mail-in ballots have kind of changed the way election night goes for many of us. And we were expecting more results on election night, and it looks like it's kind of extended that process. How do you, What's your reaction to that? Well, it's made a little longer process. It's probably caused us to have uh, less of a kind of a Friday night surprise you know, we used to have some negative things would be dropped, you know, the weekend before the Tuesday of elections, trying to, to discreetly you would have a chance to respond if you're the recipient of that. I think in some ways it's tried to make things a little more moderate in our conduct and how we conduct elections. People vote three weeks earlier now, and so... Uh, you know, you, you have a longer kind of a campaign to get your message out, but I think it moderates most campaigns a little bit. Uh, I think the 4th Congressional District was a little a bit of an exception. That was just really negative on both sides, more so than we would, I think anybody would like. And that was disappointing. But um, but I think it's, it's, uh, the, the, it's a net gain to have, at least as an option, the mail-in ballot. 
I understand you were informed today of a lawsuit that is being filed against you over Proposition 2. What can you tell us about that and the process over Proposition 2? Well, I haven't read it. I have been notified that this is kind of a notice to give us notice that we may have a lawsuit. So uh, any documents we have regarding this issue, you have to maintain them and keep them, which would have undoubtedly happened anyway. But I don't quite understand why people are in opposition. They'll have to explain themselves. Uh, I'll just note that in the process, when this first came about, uh, what we call Proposition 2, medical marijuana, medical cannabis, in April I stepped up, and I think I'm probably the first one. I don't think anybody else is saying anything. I just said, look, I read the initiative, and although the intent is good to allow people that have relief from medicinal use of marijuana or cannabis to alleviate pain and suffering. That's a good thing. But there are flaws in the initiative that need to be uh, addressed. And uh, some of it was just as simple as they've they've made their initiative based on an old statute. Statutes have been changed. That's certainly got to be corrected in the, uh, in the law somehow. And then, uh, you know, uh, a couple of three months ago, I uh, said that it, in fact, might have been on this program. You know, I, I said, look, if the initiative passes, uh, then we're going to come into special session and fix the flaws. If the initiative doesn't pass, we're going to come into special session and create legislation that doesn't have flaws. And we got in that process uh, both sides together, the proponents and the opponents coming together and having discussion and coming up with compromise. Compromise is not a dirty word, by the way. Uh, we have some that say it's my way or the highway. That might be uh, part of the lawsuit. I don't know. But the compromise really is designed to address access to medicinal ca- uh, cannabis so people can get access to it and have it recommended by a doctor that's been trained to make the recommendations and understands the the potential benefits of medical cannabis, but also to create, uh, you know, constraints on access so that we don't have it in the black market. We're not on our way to recreational use of marijuana, which is nobody says they want to have, at least if they're being honest with us, uh, making sure that we end up having um, the ability to control the quantity and the quality through a pharmacist and a distribution system that we have some confidence in. So this is really kind of win-win. And uh, we'll bring them into probably December 3rd for a special session. And the compromise will be there, what we have on the law and the books with the initiative and the compromise that we'll morph to. And, by the way, there'll be a lot of opportunity for the public to weigh in on that. So overall, do you feel good about the process that, that it's gone through? I do. I actually think it's been a good process. certainly been thorough. I know it's certainly motivated a lot of people to show up and participate. And, and voting It probably helped drive some turnout. Uh, and that's really the, how it works. And so I think we're going to land this in a very good place that everybody, at least the consensus, the mass, vast majority of people of Utah are going to say, hey, that's good policy. We can live with that. And we're having to live with something that, by the way, is still illegal federally. <laughs> that's where we need makes to, it challenging as well. Yeah, we need to put the pressure on Congress that's been ignoring this and, and past administrations that said rather than to fix the law, and do the scientific research to take it off Schedule 1 and find out what the truth is scientifically about cannabis, we just decided to ignore the law. Well, that's not a way to solve the problem. In fact, that's put us in a you know, a difficult situation. So I hope our, our own congressional delegation and others will join forces and say, you know, enough's enough. Let's do the right thing. Let's do the science. Let's do the research and find out absolutely in specific detail 
you know, what medical cannabis will do for people under what circumstances, what conditions, what dosages, all those things that we'd have expect from the FDA approval of any medicine. All right, we need to take a break. The number to call if you'd like to be part of the program, ask the governor your questions, 801-575-8255. That is KSL Talk. Or you can also text us your questions at 57500. We'll be right back. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. And today we are coming to you from the Gold Room at the State Capitol. Since we're doing a little bit of remodeling, Governor, thanks for having us. And I understand that you have some new numbers from the elections office you want to tell us about. Yeah, we just got word uh, with the latest counts and amounts uh, that we've got over uh, nearly a million voters that have participated in this uh, election cycle. And that's that would equal about 70% of all of our active voters, which is the, probably a record number for midterm elections. And uh, so, and that's the, certainly the highest number since 1982. So congratulations to the people out there for participating, for voting. Uh, uh, the participation rates are high, and let's keep it going. Because in a republic, the only way it works is if people do show up and vote. Otherwise, how do you know what the people are actually wanting to have done. So uh, good on Utah. Great news, Governor. We do have our first caller on the line, and that is Helen in Layton. And good afternoon, Helen. What is your question for the governor? Oh, hi. Thanks for talking to me. Um, I was wanting to talk about the, the forest fires this summer. It seems to me that, you know, the Forest Service is so overwhelmed. And we've seen so many times, and, and one recent fire where, they opted not to fight a fire that was in the wilderness area, and it turned out to be a big disaster here this summer. And I'm wondering if we could, if we could assist them a little better. Um, I know that in my industry we have rapid response teams, and when things start to look bad, we call the rapid response team, and they drop what they're doing. Uh, I was thinking, you know, maybe the state and the municipalities could form a partnership with the Forest Service or something, and and when something starts, they could they could send somebody there right away, just a maybe a helicopter or or you know a, a rapid response team, instead of waiting to gather assets and waiting for all these people to come. Maybe they could uh, take care of it before before things get out of hand. It seems so frightening, and uh, you know, it made me. It, it seemed to me it would be a good way to support the Forest Service and not criticize them, but. But since they are overwhelmed. Well, thank you, Helen. Uh, you, you make some good points, and certainly the old adage that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure comes into play here. Uh, and it probably in twofold areas. By the way, we do have joint agreements with the federal folks, and, and uh, when a fire starts, it's usually local responders that uh, come together in what we call good neighbor authority. Uh, we help each other, and, and so... We're not waiting for the federal boys to show up and say, can you put this fire out? We uh, locally are, are first on the job and then bring in type 1, type 2, type 3 firefighters that are on uh, assignment around the country. Um, but the thing that we probably could do better is how we manage the, uh, the forest themselves. Uh, the last administration really had uh, most all the money was being spent on suppression of fires. And we've argued, and finally the Congress has listened, that 
the money should I mean, we should have money for suppression, but we should also have money for developing a healthy forest. And if we'll develop a healthy forest, we will have less fires, certainly less damaging fires, and the suppression efforts will be easier. And what were happening, what was happening with the budget in Congress in the past administration was all the money was going to suppression, and the fire, and the forest continued to deteriorate. So again, I appreciate the fact that we're trying to find ways to uh, collaborate together with the with our Forest Service people, working with our local people here, to have healthier forests. We've talked about the roadless issue, which is a little complicated, but designed to, in fact, have us keep things more like wilderness. But uh, in doing so, we limit the ability for us to manage the forest. And so like Idaho and like Colorado, our two neighboring states, we would like to have some variations and some ability to have flexibility with the roadless uh, issue, not to go in there and have ATVs running around or to rape and pillage the forest, just to have an ability to maintain and manage more correctly and make them healthier. If we do that, I think we're going to have... a much better result going forward, and so I'm very optimistic. I think we're in the right direction, going on the no pun intended, going on the right road. We have uh, the fires in California that are burning so strongly right now, Governor. I heard that there was another fire that started today, and we have some 200 uh, Utah firefighters on the scene there. What can we learn from what's happening in California? I mean, our situation is a little bit different. I mean, we haven't had fires that have affected homeowners quite to this extent. Uh, California has really been hit hard. I've, I've talked to Governor Brown. Um, he, well, we talked, he called and offered condolences on our firefighter from Draper that lost his life helping them down there with their fires. They've been hit uh, with this drought and their tender-like conditions, and even this late in getting into the fall to have this kind of a fire is really a little bit surprising. Uh, we've been in the drought, too, and so whatever people's position is on climate change, the cause of it, we clearly have, have uh, having some drought conditions. And so we need to anticipate that. Uh, we need to, again, as I say, make the forest more healthy. And that means probably allowing us to come in here and thin the forest, take out certain size of, of uh, trees and, and thin the herd, so to speak. Uh, uh, maybe having more grazing opportunities for uh, cattle or sheep, which will keep the the brush down, the uh, scrub brush, which is where the fires start and burn the forest. Uh, So there's things we can do from a management standpoint that I think are important. And um, again, I I look at Idaho and Colorado, which have done a lot of good work on their forests. Their forests are healthier now than ours. Uh, yesterday, you were on hand as the body of Major Brent Taylor returned uh, to the state of Utah at the Air National Guard headquarters. Reflect on that experience. Well, uh, I've been to a couple of these. Um, they're always a solemn occasion. Anytime you lose one of your soldiers, and uh, as the commander-in-chief of our National Guard, it hits home a little bit harder. Uh, but any Utahn serving in any branch of the government or loss of life is always a tough thing for those who are associates, friends, and particularly the family. Um, Major Taylor, who we know as uh, Mayor Taylor also, was the consummate uh, example of a citizen soldier, which is what our National Guard represents. Air National Guard citizen soldiers that were involved in the community but serve in the military too. And this was his fourth tour to the Middle East. He'd been twice to Iraq and had been once to Afghanistan and went back a second time. They asked him to come, 
he, he volunteered to go, but they have a great love for him. I've talked to people who served with him in Afghanistan and said he was loved by the Afghans in a significant way. He spent more time with them. He was a great leader, a great friend to them. So it was really surprising that one turned and um, an inside a situation where he was, in fact, killed. Um, but he volunteered, and he knew he was doing something to help his country, but he also knew he was going to help the people of Afghanistan to help them appreciate liberty and freedom and to help them to help themselves. And his last communication back to us was about voting, and he he was excited about seeing 8 million Afghanistans vote for the first time in eight years under difficult circumstances. And he he sent his message home on his Facebook just before our election saying, I hope the people of Utah show up and appreciate the opportunity they have for the sake and privilege of voting. And regardless of who wins or who loses, you know, let's unite together as Americans and get things done. Good counsel for us today and, and for somebody who is really a wonderful individual and our hearts are broken. And our compassion goes to Jenny and, and the seven children and their funeral will be this uh, coming Saturday. Right. But it's one of those events that you don't forget. No, certainly not. Uh... We, and you're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. We're going to break for our bottom of the hour news. The number to call if you'd like to ask a question, 801 575 8255, where that is KSL Talk. You can also text us at 57500. We'll be right back. It's 1229 in the KSL 24-hour newsroom. I'm Todd Fuchs. KSL's top local story this hour. At least six firearms and more than a 1,000 rounds of ammo were taken from the home of Isaac Fazio, who's accused of shooting a 15-year-old last month. The 19-year-old Fazio, charged with attempted murder after shooting the teenage boy in the leg, following a social media fight with Fazio's younger brother about gang-related chatter on an app. Your voice, your vote. 2018. Utah's results are taking a long time to count, partly because of mail-in ballots, but also because of the high turnout. KSL News Radio's Mary Richards explains why so many of us voted. Utahns may not know the name of their state lawmaker, but they pay attention to Congress and the president. BYU political science professor Adam Brown says he sees national politics playing more into these midterms. It's just mind-blowing how high it appears to be, partly because national politics have managed to be unusually divisive. Brown says your state and local elected officials have more impact on your daily life than Washington, D.C. does. He'd like to see the high turnout continue for next year's city and municipal elections. Mary Richards, KSL News Radio. Our top national story this hour from ABC News. A deadline fast approaching for counties in Florida to return their recount results. ABC's Mark Remillard reports all eyes are on one county. Palm Beach County Election Supervisor Susan Booker defending her staff's work to recount ballots despite technical difficulties. We were very close two nights ago, and then our machines went down. It was not for lack of human effort. The county's tabulation machines overheated, forcing them to rerun hundreds of thousands of ballots that had already been recounted. When asked if her county will meet today's 3 p.m. deadline to submit results, Booker said, The likelihood is slim. Mark Remillard, ABC News. Investors taking advantage of a string of down days recently today. The Dow is up 250 points. Coming up on KSL News Radio, it's decent outside, but air quality is suspect. We'll check your forecast next. KSL News Time, 1231. One button. Simple and reliable. Instantly get the news to start your day. One button on the radio and one button on the KSL News Radio app.
I got a new pair of shoes that I absolutely love. Oh, yeah? I, I wear them with my jeans. I wear them with you know business suits or skirts. They're called Rothies. My wife got a pair of these Rothies. She got the gray point. She absolutely loves them. And you're right, Amanda, they go with everything. They come in four fashionable styles, the flat, the point, the loafer, and the sneaker. And here's what kills me. They are made out of recycled water bottles. Isn't that cool? The Royal approved Meghan Markle slipped on her Rothies on a recent Australian tour with Prince Harry. They've been flying off the shelves ever since. They're even machine washable. They come out with new colors all the time. My wife loves her Rothies. I know you're going to love them too. And right now, Rothies has an amazing deal for our listeners. Use the code KSL to get free shipping with no minimum. Free shipping and free returns or exchanges on your Rothy's shoes. Although, trust me, you're never going to return them. Yeah, just go to rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com, and enter KSL to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable, and free shipping. Go get yourself a pair today. Rothy's.com, promo code KSL. Get this deal while it lasts. Okay, here's the deal. You're a freelancer, a hired hand, a self-made, self-owned business of one. Whether you're a contractor, creative director, or consultant, you're the boss. And that makes things easy. Unless, of course, you're trying to get a mortgage. When it comes to qualifying for a cash-out refi, gig economy workers come with more obstacles, more complexities, and more stress, right? Wrong. Dial 855-875-CASH, and one of our cash-out mortgage specialists will help you qualify for the lowest interest loan possible, regardless of your source of income. It's the easiest call you'll make all day. That's 855-875-CASH. Make the cash call today. First Mortgages, Impact Mortgage Group, DBA Cash Call Mortgage, 19500 Jamboree Road, Irvine, California, 92612, NMLS 128231. Equal housing lender, not licensed in all states, including New York. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. Again, that's 855-875-CASH. Make the cash call today. Get more help on the way to work. We have triple the resources. Three sets of eyes on the road. We'll break in as often as it takes, keeping you out of those backups. Triple team traffic, mornings and afternoons on KSL News Radio. Your traffic and weather together brought to you by Mountain America's Visa Triple Rewards. Hello, Ricky Meese. Hello, Todd. We are back to a delay-free drive on all your Valley freeways, but we do have a crash in Murray. It's on the on-ramp to northbound I-15 at 5300 south, but it is out of traffic on the right. Also, you do want to watch for a traffic light that's been malfunctioning at 33rd south and 9th east. They're trying at 7th west also. They're trying to get that taken care of. And then one other problem. This is a crash southbound I-15 just after 106 South in Sandy. Again, that's been moved out of traffic to the shoulder. Larson Digital has the perfect gift for you this holiday. Convert your VHS, slides, audio, or movie reels with the help of local professionals. Give the gift of memories. Visit LarsonDigital.com today. Ricky Meese in the KSL Traffic Center. You can see the haze hanging around today. Air quality is mostly in the yellow range, but bordering on unhealthy for sensitive groups in the northern part of the valley. Otherwise, it's a pretty nice day. High 52. Friday's high will be 56. Right now, it's 46 at 1235. You get the top stories every 30 minutes. Breaking news the second it happens. I'm Todd Fuchs. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Utah's news traffic weather at BYU Cougar Station. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. 
And thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. Today we're actually coming to you from Capitol Hill, the Gold Room on Utah's Capitol Hill. And if you've never seen it, it's quite a luxurious room, Governor. It's a great room. We we host a lot of people here and uh, heads of state, uh, leaders in business and religion, faith uh, leaders, uh, people all over, ambassadors. So, it makes quite an impression. Yeah, they like it here, and we get pictures, and uh, welcome to the state of Utah. It's a good first impression. It certainly is. Uh, let's take a call from Kami in Clearfield. And good afternoon, Kami. How can we help you today? Kami, are you still there? Okay, well, Governor, I'm just going to go ahead and ask her question. She wants okay. to know if Utah would bring back the prisoner firefighting crews to help fight fires. Well, uh, prisoner firefighting crews, there's certainly things that our prisoners can do as part of their paying their debt to society. And we have working on road crews and other th- crews and other things that they do. And so we uh, are utilizing them as best as we can. And um, I don't think we've needed them to be on the fires uh, recently. Maybe back in Governor Levitt's day, they had a little bit of shortage of manpower. We don't seem to have that problem today, but certainly as an option. There are some liability issues, you know, as far as, you know, uh, taking them uh, out and and monitoring their conduct when they're not uh, locked up. Um, there's some issues as far as them not being trained adequately to fight fires and the liability we'd have of their own welfare. So there's some uh, some concerns that we'd have to address. But if we need them, I'm sure it's a possibility. Right now, it appears that we don't need them to help with the firefighting right now. All right. Since we're on the subject of prisoners, uh, give us an update on the, the prison. Oh, the new prison. Well, we're on schedule. And uh, we're on budget. We're moving dirt out there, putting in utilities and improvements. It's going to be a great addition to uh, uh, law enforcement and corrections with a rehabilitation component stronger than ever before to help people uh, do their time but then reenter society and be productive members of their communities. So I feel good about the uh, structure and what's taking place there. From an economic standpoint, it's helped open up the uh, northwest quadrant for the Salt Lake City area. It's really been a positive thing. We now have Amazon that's now uh, relocating out there by them, Uh, UPS. Uh, Of course, people have heard about the inland port Mm -hmm. that's taking place out there. $110 million the state's putting in to infrastructure, sewer, water lines, etc. out there to make that a viable place for economic growth and expansion, Um, the catalyst being the prison. So uh, uh, it'll be probably 2020, uh, towards the latter part of 2020, that it'll be completed. Then we'll have time, uh, need to take time to move prisoners from the point of the mountain to there. That'll open up another opportunity for us uh, to develop the point of the mountain on both the north and the south sides of the county line there for future economic development opportunities. And uh, that's going to be significant as we develop what we've called Silicon Slopes there. So this is really uh, some good things taking place that uh, I think for the next generation or two, people can look back and say, wow, that's, that, that was a good thing we did. Governor, one of our texters is a nurse, and she has a statement and a comment. Uh, she says she fully appreciates adding hospice to the list of conditions that could qualify for medical marijuana when it comes to the special session. She's wondering, she's curious, why the removal of autoimmune diseases other than multiple sclerosis? Well, not having been involved in those discussions, uh, I'm not certain all the answer what the answer is to that question entirely. I do know that there's been a lot of discussion back and forth with experts saying here's conditions that uh, cannabis will help. Uh, 
Um, we've looked at the list in other states of uh, su- suggested conditions that uh, cannabis will help. Minnesota comes to mind, and so they've developed this list. But, again, two things. One, it is not completed yet. We, we have a special session. People will have an opportunity to come in and voice their opinion and concerns about the law and the proposed uh, modification of the law. And, and their opinions, pro or con, or, uh, will be invaluable in, in helping us get to the right place. Uh, the uh, the legislative process is how you make law. Initiative petitions, you tend to have, you, you take whatever they've put on the paper, warts and all. And so part of this process is to eliminate the warts, one of the mistakes. Maybe we have a mistake here with not having enough uh, um, of, this, of the conditions that maybe medical cannabis can help. The good news is, though, they do have a, what's called a compassionate use board as part of the compromise legislation where people can come and approach the board and say, we have this unique condition, this special condition, we have this need here, and they can uh, give them uh, permission to, in fact, access in Utah medical cannabis for that unique condition that they can kind of give, a, as it were, a waiver. So the compassion board, uh, I think, will be used and uh, appreciated by many people that think, oh, I've got this special condition that's not on the list. Right. Our next question is about Proposition 4, uh, saying that it's basically 50-50. Even if it does pass, do you believe Republicans would simply reject a nonpartisan plan of redistricting in favor of gerrymandering? You know, gerrymandering, kind of like beauty, is somewhat in the eye of the beholder. And uh, I know there's differences of opinion out there as you look at lines being drawn and say, well, that was done to affect uh, the Republican side or to disaffect the Democrat side. And depending on where you're at in this country, uh, it, depending on how you look at it, you can blame the opposition for all of the gerrymandering. Uh, so that being said, I think what we want to have in Utah is a fair and equitable ability to draw lines that, in fact, represent the people. Uh, and, and and make sure that everybody's voice is being represented as best as we can. <clears throat> and the truth of the matter is, in Utah, we have 680,000 registered Republicans, and we have about 180,000, less than 200,000 registered Democrats. Mm-hmm. One of the fastest-growing parts of our uh, uh, state is really unaffiliated, those who would be more independent, they can, uh, that are not affiliated with any party. So that being said, you can see how it's hard to carve up. We've got 3.2 million people. How do you carve it up to make sure that everybody's been treated fairly? I think that's what we want. And under the Constitution, that's the legislature's responsibility. But they ought to get input, whether it's from a commission like this and whether it's the public at large in that process and draw the lines where we, in fact, have uh, fair and equitable representation with our congressional district. That's really all we're talking about. Nobody seems to complain about our state legislature. We have virtually no complaints. That's almost always passed unanimously. And so it's really the the four congressional districts where you see most of this uh, come up. People are complaining. But um, I I think the legislature will get it done right, and I think they need to take the recommendations as part of their input. All right. If you'd like to ask a question of the governor, the number to call, 801-575-8255. That is KSL Talk. You can text us your questions at 575 We'll be right back following a short break. 
What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. And let me speak to the governor coming to you from the Gold Room at the State Capitol today. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. We do have a couple of callers waiting now, Governor. Let's go first to David in Salt Lake. Hi, David. What is your question? Hi, I'm a, I'm a pharmacist. I work in a hospital, not in the retail setting. But uh, pharmacists uh, have to abide by a lot of laws and rules, um, a lot of regulations there. And they must follow the, the stricter of the rules. If it's a state or federal, they must follow the, the more strict. So by requiring uh, the medicinal marijuana to be dispensed by a pharmacist, that would make it so that nothing could possibly happen to the state of Utah until the federal level makes it legal. Um, so to, I just understand, don't understand how we could have the pharmacist be dispensing it without them themselves losing their license. Yeah, that's a good question. We have Senator Evan Vickers, who is a pharmacist, that's helping us navigate this. Again, I think everybody recognizes the problem of uh, the federal law uh, still making distribution of marijuana as a medicine illegal, although they don't seem to be too concerned about it because it's happening in 32 other states and they don't, they're not doing anything to enforce that law. It's kind of a peculiar circumstance. What we're doing in Utah, though, is that the DEA licenses that are controlled by the federal government uh, is not the license that pharmacists will use. We will issue a special license, uh, a state license that will be regulated by the state, and that's the license that they'll uh, issue the product itself, the medical cannabis, and so they will not be in jeopardy of losing their federal license. All right, David, thank you so much for your call. Let's take a call now from James in West Jordan. And James, what is your question for the governor? Okay, governor, I'm not hearing anything, so I'm going to uh, just expect that we lost the caller. Well, sorry, James. Uh, James in West Jordan is asking, will the state help senior citizens with their property taxes? Well, that's more a, a county issue. We uh, certainly have given discounts for primary residents on your property taxes. Uh, it's less than half of what the value is, whereas it's a secondary residence. You have to pay the full 100% of the property tax based on its evaluation. It's an ad valorem tax, which is a tax based on value. So there is relief out there for homeowners and their primary residence. We also have circuit breakers which allows people, if you're in the military, if you're engineer personnel, uh, that you have some ability to petition the county and the Board of Adjustments and get some relief from your property taxes. Mm-hmm. So those are things that are already on the books. Whether we need to do more, uh, you know, we want to keep the property taxes low. That's why we want to have a healthy economy so we don't have to, in fact, raise taxes. And But uh, so talk to one of your legislators, and we're going to be talking about tax reform this upcoming legislative session, which is... Uh, past time. We've been uh, talking around it for the, about the last few years when I brought it up, but this year I think we'll have a robust discussion, and this could be one of the topics as far as what do we do with property tax for seniors. I think we have a little bit of sarcasm on the part of this next texter, Governor, asking if the UHP is aware that they've lost the battle trying to c- control speeding on the freeways. <laughs> well, I don't know if they've lost the battle. It's certainly one of uh, temperament and, and keeping people under 100 you know, uh, we find by actual monitoring that if the speed limit is 55, people, people drive 65. If it's 65, they drive 75. If it's 75, they drive 85. 
So picking a number, you say, well, we know people are going to speed probably above that. And our troopers are told, you know, they sometimes they have a tolerance. We'll give them five over before we'll give them a ticket not to be too picky. But if we see reckless driving, endangerment of others on the, on the roads, they can pick them up at any speed. So I think they're doing a great job, and uh, our, I think our um, accident rates and things out there are good. Our biggest problem probably is just those that are driving under the influence. DUIs is the biggest problem, not speeding. All right. We have another caller on the line, uh, James from Provo. And, James, what is your question today? I am still not hearing those phone lines. Oh, there we go. Are you there, James? Nope, James. Uh, I thought I heard something. I thought I heard something, too. Uh, Governor, let's talk for a second about uh, Medicaid expansion. Okay. And how that is going to work. Um, I understand that that one looks like it's going to be passed. And talk a little bit about Medicaid expansion in the state of Utah. Well, I think everybody really kind of supports Medicaid and um, the desire to have those who are most vulnerable in our society to have access to good quality health care. That's the essence of the concept of Medicaid. The problem is the rising cost of health care has made it very expensive to pay for, and the taxpayers are having to take on that burden. And what's been disappointing to me is in Washington, D.C., with the Affordable Care Act, all we've been talking about is who's going to pay for the rising cost of health care. Mm-hmm. Rather than addressing the root cause, why don't we, uh, let's see what we can do to make health care more affordable. More affordability equals more accessibility. Um, Democrats and Republican governors alike have been lamenting the fact that Medicaid is the budget buster of our budgets. And it started out in Utah, uh, 8 or 9% of our budget. Now we're up to 19%. Those who expanded Medicaid are up to 30%. And uh, even though this uh, Medicaid proposal initially that's passing has a tax increase embedded in it, it will only be good for probably one or two years, and then we're going to have to say, okay, the rising costs here, where's it going to come from? We're going to raise the tax. We're going to cut education funding, public safety, other health and human services, transportation. The fiscal aspect of this has got to be addressed, and we're not like the federal government that just continues to add to the deficit and the debt, which is now over $21 trillion. We are one of nine states that, in fact, manage their money correctly, one of only nine states that have AAA bond ratings from all rating agencies on Wall Street. That's what you want your government to do to manage the taxpayers' dollars correctly. So uh, we'll have to have that discussion. I think the people have spoken about having a Medicaid expansion program. We need to make sure we have a Medicaid expansion program that we can afford. And that'll be the, mostly the discussion, I think, going forward. It'll probably be a discussion in the upcoming legislative session whether they do anything about it. We've got maybe a year or two before the fiscal issues will kick in. But that's that's the biggest problem is this, that we buy it today, but let's make sure we can afford it tomorrow. One of our texters is saying, uh, is, um, what's the right word, is afraid that you're not going to go ahead and go ahead and put in place with Proposition 2 what the people are asking for. Maybe you can clear up. You do plan to go ahead with Proposition 2, and there's no question that that's going to happen. Yeah. Again, I think the motivation, the goal between medical marijuana, medical cannabis, was to help those people who feel like that they're going to get some help alleviate pain and suffering. That really is the essence of it. They want to use it as a medicine. It's illegal. So how do we get it? Let's make it legal. And that's the the motivation. And so that's going to happen. That, the initiative wants that to happen. And uh, in spite of flaws, 
that would come with initiative petition process because you have to vote it up or down. You can't amend it. Uh, but once it's law, then we can amend it. It would be irresponsible for the legislature, in fact, to let warts stay on the initiative that need to be corrected. We've mentioned some of the things because they base it on a law that we no longer have on the books. That needs to be corrected. The proponents uh, have been to the table uh, sitting down with the opponents, and that's a wide variety of people from different walks of life, faith-based organizations, as well as business people, chambers of commerce, you know, health officials, the uh, Utah Medical Association. The list goes on and on. There's a lot of people in the coalition, and they've come together and said, you know what, we can make this initiative better. And some uh, on the proponent side have said, hey, this change that's being proposed, this compromise, actually is better for patients when it comes to them having access to the product. So uh, this is win-win. This is not anybody cramming something down the throat of somebody else in opposition. This has come together and find a better solution, a better piece of legislation, a better policy. Now, some are going to be unhappy. That's why it's called compromise. You don't get everything you want. Um, And those that don't want to compromise at all are probably ones that are going to bring the lawsuit. And I don't understand that, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what their arguments are. But we're going to land this in a good place. People who want access to marijuana for pain and suffering uh, that have been complaining about the lack of this are going to be surprised, pleasantly surprised, and and have access. Those are concerned about making sure we don't uh, have a proliferation where law enforcement is jeopardized, where we, in fact, go to a black market and and this is really just a guise to get recreational marijuana. That's not going to happen. Uh, we're going we're gonna to make sure we do this right. And so I'm confident in the process of a special session, the ability for the public to weigh in on pros or cons on what they think about the proposed legislation and the modification, and we can amend that bill, and we can modify it and improve it. That's the legislative process. That's what you vote for when you hire a representative. This is not a democracy. It's a republic. And so these representatives will represent, hopefully, the will of the people in a rational, common-sense way to help uh, have access to medical marijuana and and alleviate pain and suffering. We have one minute left, Governor. Uh, final question for you. This uh, coming, an education question, education funding. I'm assuming that they're talking about question one and now what's going to happen with education funding. Well, we'll continue to fund education. We've put, in the last four years, way over a billion dollars of new money into education. That trend will continue. We have a healthy economy. We'll have some additional monies. Last session, we put three out of every four dollars of new money into education. I expect that kind of trend will continue. And uh, education uh, really is a significant part. It's my number one budget a priority. It's our seed corn. It's making sure our young people have good education, that they have skills that align up with the demands of the marketplace, which is global in nature. So if we want to have continued success economically, we better make sure we don't neglect our educational system. Let's make it the best education system in America. We're close to doing that. And with some additional resources, we can get it there to be number one. Governor, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for answering the questions of the people of Utah for the past hour. Thank you. And everybody, let's have a happy holiday season. We have a lot to be thankful for, as I mentioned in the beginning. Thanksgiving Day, whether it's Diwali, whether it's the lighting of the menorah, uh, whether it's Sep Festivus, whether it's Christmas. I mean, let's have a, a glorious time of Thanksgiving for the great blessings we have as a state. We're doing very well because of the good people of Utah. Thank you again. And you've been listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio.